famous 17th century Puritan Presbyterian pastor John Flavel writes that the equally famous ancient Greek astronomer Euotus of Nidos, I know you all know him, that this astronomer was so taken with the glory of the sun that he believed himself to have been born just to behold that glory. Flavel then writes, much more should a Christian judge himself born only to behold and delight in the glory of the Lord Jesus. Why do you think you were born? How's that for an easy question? Do you judge yourself in the same way that Flavel says we ought to judge ourselves? Born just to behold the glory of Christ? That is a profoundly important question for us to consider and to answer. And then if you answer, or perhaps in order that all of us can answer that question in the affirmative, to imagine what a life lived to know Christ, and then to delight in this one that we know so well, imagine what that life would look like. The late J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, writes, What makes life worthwhile? is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, more compelling gold can there be than to know God? This morning, my prayer is this, that the goal of knowing Christ more and more would capture our hearts and capture our imaginations. He's certainly big enough, worthy enough of our attention and all of our affections. So imagine what we would be like. Imagine what it would look like, what we would look like in every interaction of our every day if we judged ourselves believed ourselves to be born into this world and then born anew by the Holy Spirit just to know Jesus. We must long to know Christ more and more. We're going to talk about this morning as we return to John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, I'm just going to ask you to find two passages this morning. John chapter 15 And then, if you'll hold that place and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. So that's John chapter 15, and then 2 Peter chapter 1. And when you've found your place in your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you, if you would stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 5, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered 
thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you promise that where your word is read and heard, that's the place of your blessing. So, Lord, we've read it. We've heard it. Spirit of God, now bless us as we look at your word together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Let me just say that when an epilogue, when an epilogue exceeds in length the thing to which it is supposed to bring a concise conclusion, it goes beyond the, the pale defensibility to continue to call it an epilogue. Therefore, I believe that this to be a wise and prudent moment to drop all pretext that this epilogue to the epilogue to the epilogue is an epilogue and officially proclaim we're in a new series in John chapter 15. And you know, rightly so. It deserves to be a series in its own right because the words that Jesus speaks here, they are so weighty. And they give to the disciples who heard them and, and now you and me direction for our lives purpose for our life, definition for our lives. From this point on, the disciples are called to bear fruit for Jesus in the world. More fruit, Jesus says, much fruit, Jesus says. When they arise in the morning, they don't have to wonder about what they should do with their day. And with apology to millennials, neither do they have to go and search for something about which they are passionate to engage in in their lives. No. If the Lord awakens them one more day, then that day is a fruit-bearing day. The same is true for you and for me. If the Lord wakes us up one more day, it's a fruit-bearing day for us. That's what we've seen as we've been in this study of John chapter 15. Early on, 
We saw that bearing fruit is not optional for the believer in Christ. If you are a believer, if you are a disciple, a follower of Christ, you must bear fruit. So last week we undertook this task of beginning to define what fruit is. Because as long as fruit is indistinct in our minds, nebulous, misty, it's kind of difficult for us to produce it because we don't know what it is that we are supposed to be producing. Or perhaps we've limited fruit to one thing in our lives and we say, well, I'm not doing that in my life. And, and so then we have all this angst and even guilt that we're not doing the one thing that we think fruit is. So it's very important that we define fruit. Last week, we began by defining it as characteristics, the characteristics that are produced when the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in us. If in your life, by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, you are displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you are producing some fruit. But, Realize this, the goal must be to have all of these characteristics. You can't say, well, I'll be loving, but I'm not going to be joyful about it. Or I'll be patient, but I'm not going to be kind about it. Or I'll be gentle, but I'm not going to be self-controlled. You get the point. No, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wisely termed these characteristics as fruit, singular, fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit, They come together as a package, all right? This morning, I'm going to add another fruit that we must bear. And I'm calling this fruit a drive or a compulsion or a longing or an internal urging to know Christ. A drive, a compulsion, a longing to know Christ Knowing Christ more and more is bearing fruit. If you still have your Bible open, look again at 2 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 8. Peter writes, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's state that positively. If you have these qualities, and these are qualities similar to the ones at which we looked last week, the fruit of the Spirit, you will be fruitful, and the fruit you bear will be knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is clear. Knowing Christ is bearing fruit. Peter writes these words over 30 years after he heard Jesus tell them in the upper room that they must bear fruit. This is Peter's last letter. It's most likely that Peter wrote this letter from the prison where he awaits his martyrdom for being a fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus. And at the very end, what is Peter still writing about? Knowing Christ. And what does he call it? A fruit. And we must not miss the word increasing that Peter uses here in verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. The word increase means 
Just that to produce more and more so that whatever it is, we experience in abundance. And Peter writes in the present active. And so what Peter is telling us here, you and me, is don't be static. Don't be inert. Don't think that knowing Christ is just a one-time, quote-unquote, decision that you make for him. No, we must keep knowing Christ. Peter's idea is movement in that direction. Are you moving in your knowledge of Christ? How much? How often? Because if you're static, if I'm static, we need to think through what the end results And what the consequences of that inertia will be in our lives. Don't know Christ more and more. What do we expect the result will be? Perhaps it's good at this moment to conjure up the image of a stagnant pond. Maybe that will help. Have you seen a stagnant pond? Isn't good, is it? Doesn't look good and it sure don't smell good. Neither is a life stalled. We're stagnated by neglect of getting to know Christ. It doesn't bloom with fruit. And just to allow Jesus himself to put a very sharp point on this. Jesus says in verse 6 of John 15 that fruitless branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Because they're useless. We must in an ever-increasing way, all of us, Long to know Christ more and more. To have that drive, that compulsion, that internal urging. Listen again to what we read earlier. In the service, during the prayer of confession, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing. Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then in verse 10, he says that I may know him. The NIV translates Paul's words as I want to know Christ. Paul's saying that I may know Christ, that that I want to know Christ. We are a little taken aback by that, aren't we? Because we're tempted to respond, but wait a minute, Paul. You do know Christ. You were walking along the road on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And a light flashed from heaven, and you fell on the ground on your face, and the risen Lord Jesus Christ spoke to you. Jesus said of you that you were his appointed instrument, appointed instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. You immediately began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God, and all who heard your preaching were astonished by it. You spent years studying to equip yourself for ministry. Now you're the greatest missionary of the gospel of Christ and the greatest church planner the church has ever known. You wrote more than half of the New Testament. You are one of the apostles. So what do you mean you want to know Christ? Or that you may know Christ. You do know him. Here's what Paul means. And I think this is where you and I Those of us who say that we know Christ can learn so much from Paul. 
I think he means that as long as we walk on this earth, none of us will ever have a full knowledge of the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. See, you and I equate the word know with a casual acquaintance. We barely met someone, but we'll say, oh, I know that guy. I know that girl. Really? What are they like? What are they not like? What are their greatest joys? What are their greatest sorrows? What are their biggest fears? Do they squeeze a toothpaste tube from the bottom or from the middle? Paul, on the other hand, equates the word no with an intimate knowledge of, with a seeking to know all that's possible to be known, all the details about. Therefore, knowing Christ must be an ongoing, lifelong drive because the depths of who Jesus is cannot be fully sounded. You and I can never know him fully on this earth. And even eternity will not be long enough to know him fully. Now, if you believe that that's just preacher speak, something that sounds good from the pulpit, but something that's not really true, in that perhaps you question how a man, a man, who appeared so finite on earth, limited to a human body, how could it ever require all of eternity to know that one? And it's an understandable question to have. But the answer lies beyond what we see. The answer comes only when you and I delve into the love of God the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of the three times holy God who would leave the perfection of heaven and come to earth to people like you and me. And not just to come to us, but to die for us. We like to talk about injustice in our world today, don't we? Jesus on the cross is the biggest injustice in all human history because Jesus is the only perfect, innocent, guiltless person who ever lived and yet he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. You think you're going to understand that in a day? or a week, or a month, or a year, or a lifetime. No. You and I will need all eternity to comprehend these incomprehensible truths about the heart of our Savior and the acts of our Savior on our behalf. Puritan Thomas Watson writes, God's center is everywhere. His circumference is nowhere. Isn't that beautiful? We never get to the edges, the boundaries of God. To quote John Label once again, in his day of exploration, 
He compares getting to know Christ to discovering a new country. He says, at first, men sit down by the seaside, upon the skirts and the borders of the land, and there they dwell. But by degrees, they search farther and farther into the heart of the country. Ah, the best of us are yet but upon the borders of this vast continent. The best on earth are only at the borders, only at the fringes of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is bearing fruit. And you and I will change and reorder and reprioritize our lives so that we might bear this fruit only when we are convinced that Christ is of inestimable value, that he is vast beyond all measure. You heard what Peter wrote, verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. His own glory, his own glory and excellence. All we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. I'll give you some examples of both his value and his vastness. Jesus is the advocate of 1 John chapter 2. He is the all and all of Colossians 3. He's the anchor of Hebrews 6, and the bridegroom of John, uh, John 3. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever of Hebrews 13. He is the line of Judah of Revelation 5. He's the living water of John 4. He's the light of the world of John 8. He's the good shepherd of John 10. He's the way and the truth and the life of John 14. He is the vine here in John 15. He is the friend of sinners in Matthew 11, he is the author and perfecter of our faith of Hebrews 12. He is Christ, our Passover lamb of 1 Corinthians 5. These are just a few of the 153 names of Christ. Imagine not just being acquainted with him, but knowing him intimately as each one of these. There's so much of Christ to know. And I promise you this it would be worth any sacrifice you have to make to burst forth with this fruit of knowing Christ. I'm going to close now and I'm going to change gears just a bit. I think that sometimes. You and I don't know the Lord intimately because we don't want the Lord to know us too intimately. Keep it light. Keep it casual. Keep it on the acquaintance level. But, but listen, I have to remind myself of this all the time. The Lord already sees you. He already knows you. Psalm 139, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You discern my thoughts from afar. You're acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. He knows you. He knows me. 
and he loves us still. Is that good news? Once more with J.I. Packer. There is tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic. Based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery can disillusion him about me. Come on. Is that good news? You are knowing more and more the one who thoroughly knows you. And he's not disillusioned by what he knows. He knew all about it. And he saved you still. By his grace, he continues to forgive those sins. Once you committed even in this day, once I've committed in this day, he doesn't withhold from us because of who we are. So do this, please. Don't allow fear of knowing, of him knowing who you are cause you to shy away from knowing who he is. No, confess and get on with it. Move forward with knowing Christ more and more and imagine as you go. Imagine what you would be like. Imagine what you would look like in your every interaction of your every day if you judged yourself, believed yourself to be born into this world and to be born anew by the Spirit of God just to know Jesus. Imagine the difference you could make in our chaotic, unmoored, unhinged world if you knew Christ better and better in the midst of it. You and I, we must commit to knowing Christ. We must order every day of our lives so that we may bear this fruit. We know Christ more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have offered yourself to us for the knowing. We pray now. That as you extend yourself to us, we will long to know you more and more. Spirit of God, lead us as we seek that knowledge into the paths of truth based on your word as you promise you will do. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.